time. All right, let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, so many things to be thankful for. Thank you for your provision for us. Thank you for the word of God that, that gives us what we need every day. And specifically this morning as we talk about parenting, the word of God is, is what we need to hear from this morning. So I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, not so that we're smarter, Lord, but so that we are transformed and so that we are living the way that you've intended for us to live, that we're, that we're raising our children the way for, that you've intended for us to do it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Danny slammed the door. Consider these three scenarios. Danny slammed the door and mama said, I'll just leave him. It's because he's so tired. Danny slammed the door and mother shouted up the stairs, you come down here at once, otherwise I will give you the what for. I slave away doing your cleaning, your cooking, your washing, and I've only asked you to do one small thing, and you never think about me. Your sister's been very helpful today. Why can't you be more like her? Listen, if you do as I asked, I'll give you some money to go see a movie tonight. Danny slammed the door, and mom thought to herself, think calm thoughts, and she went up the stairs and she knocked on the door only to receive the what? And she said, your reaction was well out of order. What made you so angry? What's going on? What's the difference in those three scenarios? What happened with the first one? Nothing happened, but what was the mother's rationale for doing what she did? He was tired. Most likely, that's indicative of who was tired. She was tired. Didn't want to deal with it, right? What about the second one? Do you hear anything troubling there? Otherwise, I'll give you the what for? What was that? What do you call that? Call that a threat? Then comparing to the sister, then you never think about me. What's that? Guilt, manipulation with guilt, okay? All things that we are prone to do as parents, right? All things we're prone to do. Then the third one, think calm thoughts. And remember what she asked him? What made you so angry? What's going on? So, finally, week five, we're going to talk about disciplining your children. All of you have been waiting for this moment. Tell us how to get them in line. Well, I've got good news and bad news. God's Word has a lot to say about it. Bad news is it's going to be a lot of work. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. And as we go to Colossians chapter 2, let me ask you a question. And, and, and you got to think about this one. When, we, when, it comes to, when it comes to the scriptures, is the law good or law bad? Hmm? It's good. What's it good for? Can the law save you? 
No. So why, what's the point of the law? Show us why we need a Savior. The law, the law demonstrates a couple things. It demonstrates God's holiness, does it not? It demonstrates the character of God. This is, what, this is what God expects out of us. This is who God is, okay? God is all the things that he expects out of us in many ways, okay? And so let me ask you a question from a parenting perspective. What does a set of rules appear to accomplish? Notice I said appear to accomplish. What does a set of rules appear to accomplish? Say it again, Melanie. Outward conformity. So does that mean rules are bad? If the law wasn't bad, which is, which is a giant rule book in a way, is it not? If the law isn't bad, are rules themselves, because they're rules, are they bad? Can they be, can they be really bad, though, for a kid? And for a parent? How often do you find yourself falling into this trap? My kid kept the rules today. It's been a good day. Anybody admit to that? My kid kept the rules today. It's been a good day. Without thinking about what's going on in my kid's heart. Even in this room... There are represented certain types of people. There are people who, whenever the rule is given, they want to get right to the edge of it or they want to figure out how to break it so nobody knows. But there are people in this room that when the rule is given, you take the rule and you take it to its furthest extent and you want to keep it to its hilt because you want to prove you're so much better than anybody else. Anybody want to own up to that? Don't be fooled into thinking because your kids keep their rules that they're good. Maybe your rules stink. Right? Maybe your rules stink. Troy says, no way, my rules are always right, right? Yes, yes. So I had to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And, and the whole theme of Colossians is Christ is superior to all. Christ is everything. And so in verse 20, we're just kind of parachuting in, and he's having this discussion about, about this idea of, of there, and look at you, verse 16, no one passed judgment on you with questions of food and drink or festivals and all these things, because here's the thing, there's always somebody who has different rules than you, right? And there's always, there's always a way to judge others, right? Um, like, for instance... Um, this would never happen in our church, I'm sure. But like, do you know that so-and-so, they have alcohol right out in the open in their house? <gasps> or so-and-so, they went to go see this movie or that concert or whatever. None of us would ever do that, right? None of us would ever make judgments. That's another church down the, re down the street, right? Okay? So, so rules do that, don't they? 
Look here at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perishes that are used according to human precepts and, and teachings, these have indeed an appearance in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I want to focus on that verse I just read there. Rules, if taken the wrong way and if taken to the wrong extreme, they just are all about appearance. Melanie said it well. It's all about an outward conformity. I went to college for four years at a college that is known for its big rule book. They pride themselves on it. I outwardly kept all the rules, and I, and I privately broke just about every one of them. In fact, I took it as a challenge my sophomore year to see how many rules I could break and get away with. I think I pretty much did just about everything, including kissing girls on campus, all kinds of stuff. <gasps> I know, Beth. It's terrible. God's grace. I am living proof of it. I swam in the fountain where the founder of the college was buried. I put a box of laundry detergent in that fountain, and one morning, a whole thing was just bubbles everywhere. There are some things, yeah. I played football in our dining common when I was supposed to be cleaning their carpet, okay? I'm like, if there was a rule to be broken, I'm like, yeah, let's see how we can do this one this week. Now, I don't say that for you to think I'm awesome. I say that is, <laughs> I say all that to say this. I say all that to say this. Rules, rules do nothing to correct the heart, do they? Rules do nothing to correct the heart. If you keep going, Paul contrasts this idea of there's rules out there and they give the appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion. You could put in there self-righteousness. How many of you have been guilty of thinking, I kept all the rules, I'm better than the people who don't? There's somebody in this room who really believes when you're driving on 161 and the construction says 60 miles an hour that you go 59, you think you're better than everybody else passing you. And you know what I think of you? You are holding up traffic! But there are some of us who really think we are better than others because we keep the rules, right? Keep going in chapter 3. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds or your hearts on things that are above and, and not on things that are on the earth. If you've died, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and all of a sudden, what's going on here is, is we have a difference here Paul's not talking about outward conformity. He's talking about inward heart change. And who is the only one who can change your heart and change the heart of your child? Can you change your child's heart? Hey, look at, can you change your child's heart? How many of you have been guilty of thinking you can, though? If I just give one more rule. If I, if I just come down a little bit harder on this. I can force them to change. You see, rules, they give the appearance of goodness or righteousness or conformity. But does conformity produce lasting results? 
No. Actually, what a set of rules can produce in a person's life is (laughs) self-righteousness. So let's ask yourself this question. It's a question that, that some of you have wrestled with even this morning. Why do children misbehave? Why specifically have your children misbehaved today? How many of you have been guilty of making excuses? They're tired. I let them have too much sugar. It's the other kids at school that are leading them astray. Uh, It's hormones. Every parent of teen knows that, right? It's just hormones that have gone off the reservation. It's too many video games. It's the additives that they put in our food today. That's the problem. If we just eat pure, we will have pure behaving kids. Try that. See if that works. It's ADHD. Now, can all those things contribute? Can all those things contribute? But are all those things the cause of misbehavior? No. No. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Jesus nails it. Jesus will tell us exactly what the problem is with, with our kids. It's the same problem with us, by the way. Mark chapter 7. We're just going to skip down because I want to cover a bunch of stuff. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come within, from within, and they defile a person. I'm going to say something very shocking to you right now. Look up here, please. Parents of young children who yet have not confessed Christ as Savior, in their heart is murder right now. In their heart right now is sexual immorality. In their heart right now is rebellion. It's there. And there's nothing you can do about it to get it out. Now, does that scare you? Does that scare you? It should scare you. It should put you on your knees before God. Nobody had to train. Have you, have you come to this realization? No one had to train your newborn that, that suddenly became, you know, a one-year-old and, and, and looked at you one day and just shook their head no, or whenever you reached for them, smacked you away. No one had to train them to do that. Right? It was there. Some of you right now are thinking, well, that's not in the heart of my kid. Yes, it is. It's there. It's there. What's the source? The heart. Romans 3. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Right? The sooner you come to grips with the fact that your sweet, angelic, little cherub-faced children are full of evil, the better you're off you're going to be as a parent. That doesn't jive with our Instagram life, though, does it? 
kids all dressed in similar outfits. Have you noticed that all the Christmas pictures stay up on mom's pages all year long? It's the one time all year the kids actually look good at the same time, right? So one of the dangers that we have is Okay, Pastor Dan just spoke it. It's the scariest words ever. My, my kid, is hard, his heart is full of evil. And so, so what we want to do is we want to become these parenting control freaks. I'm going to keep them from this. I'm going to keep them from that. I'm going to keep this from them. I am going to control the environment. I'm going to control everything. And so I can control their heart if I can control the environment. Is that a true statement? Can you control the heart of your child? You absolutely cannot. Remind yourself. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this. What is the biggest obstacle to dealing with your child's heart? It has nothing to do with them. Your heart is the biggest obstacle to dealing with your child's heart. So, so every day, you're fighting a battle with your own heart, and then you are fighting a battle with your child's heart. Parenting is not for cowards, is it? So what we try to do is we try to control. Let me give you five ways that, that are typical ways that we try to control our kids here. I gave you five bullet points there. The first one that I, that I know that I made the mistake of doing, and I see this all the time with parents, is we try to manipulate our kids. Give me some ways that, that other parents, not you, but other parents might manipulate their children. None of you would be guilty of this, so we'll be... This is a judgment-free zone. This is just like Planet Fitness right in here right now. Okay? Yeah, if you don't behave in church, can't have Pastor Dan suckers. How else do we manipulate? Yeah, we play that. We play that. Yeah. If you loved me, you would do that. Yeah. And on the right kind of kid, it'll work every time. Every time, right? Some of your kids, you can manipulate them with a look. How many of you had the kid that as soon as you just look at them cross-eyed, they start crying? That's called the teacher look. Yeah, you're a manipulator, Miranda. Okay, I've exposed you. <laughs> you can manipulate them with a look. The second way we manipulate our kids is with fear. Dads are good at this. Moms are really good at this too. Come on, every mom that's done this, admit to it right now. Just wait till dad gets home. Moms, how many of you have done that? Come on. And then dad comes home and he's the softy, right? Then you've got to go in and discipline dad. Right? We manipulate with fear. We manipulate with fear. I can tell you, this is, this is so bad. I did this one time. One of my children was being so wretched. <sighs> so wretched. And I, no, it wasn't Seth, actually. <laughs> 
And I said, you know, you pull that stunt out in public and somebody sees it and someone from child protection will come and take you away. Their eyes got really big. Total fear. Total fear. They're more afraid of child protection than they are of God. Third way that we manipulate, bribery. None of you would be guilty of this, I know. But, but it just infuriates me beyond belief when I go into a store like Kroger or Meyer or whatever, and the mom is just, she's, she's negotiating with the child. Like, what's it going to take for you to be good today? Is it going to be two Snicker bars and a stuffed animal or whatever? I mean, have you witnessed that? It, it's, it's a negotiation, bribery. Like, if you want to go to so-and-so's party, then, then you, better, you better study, you better get a C at least on this test, you better do this, you better do that. Bribery. Fourth way, emotionalism. Emotionalism. If you really love mommy, you'll do this. Fifth way, inconsistency. How many of you have been guilty of saying this? Okay, just this once. You ever been guilty of saying that? Inconsistency. I said this before, I'm going to say it again, it fits right here. Kids are born gamblers. And they are playing with house money. They're gambling every time you're going to give in. They're gambling every time that you're too tired to correct them. They're gambling. They're gamblers. And often we enable, and enable their bad gambling habits. So we, we, we can easily fall into the trap of trying to control their behavior rather than addressing the heart. Is it easier to control behavior or to address a heart? In the short term, what's easier? Control behavior. Every dad has done it. In moms, you've done this too. If you don't shut up right now, I am going to take you out and knock your head off. Hi, how are you? We are going over to the Fitzpatrick's house for dinner and you will behave. And if you don't, I will rip you apart. Hi, Pastor Andy, how are you? Thank you so much for inviting us over. We've been really looking forward to this. Haven't we, kids? <laughs> What's really hard is whenever the kid misbehaves right in the middle of dinner, and it's like a whopper, and you have to take them out of the room, and, and like, oh, there's a pregnant pause in the middle of an enjoyable evening at somebody's house. Right? Let's, let's be clear here. The goal is not control. The goal is not control. Because we've already established the fact that you cannot control your child. You can't do it. So the goal is not control. So let's, let's understand what good discipline is. And I've intended this to be really, really practical. And, and, and so 
this is kind of like, hey, this PD, I've been asking you for this. Give me the list. Okay, here's the list. Number one, good discipline is calm. How many of you have been guilty of being a raving lunatic and giving discipline? Did that work? I, re I remember one time being so worked up with one of my children, they were literally laughing at me. And rightfully so. I looked, and I'm sure I looked like a complete idiot. Calm. And, and, and right next to that, put this down. The focus is on their heart. It's not on your emotional state. The focus is on their heart. The focus isn't on your emotional state. Is it easy to, to lose sight of that and focus on your emotional state? You have made me so mad. Or you, or you have literally broken my heart. That comes as they get older, by the way. And you focus, on, you focus on your own heart and how you feel betrayed and how you feel so, so crushed by them that you don't focus on their heart at all. The heart that just broke your heart is probably breaking. Let me say that again. The heart that just broke your heart is probably breaking itself. And what are we focused on? What have you done to me? What have you done to me? So good discipline is calm. Is that easy to be? Let's just be real practical here. You're better off to put the kid in some form of timeout and go get your heart right before you blow it with them. Let me say that again. You're better off, even if, even if you walk into the kitchen and your, and your three-year-old has just totally decimated everything. I mean, it has totally ruined your Joanna Gaines kitchen, as if there's such a thing. But anyway, they, they've totally decimated everything. I mean, like mixing bowls out everywhere and flour poured all over the floor, and you are just like, uh, you're better off putting that kid somewhere where they can't harm themselves and harm the kitchen any worse than they've just done it, and you go get your head right before you blow it with them. Or the teenager that comes home with, with the detention from school, and when you read what the detention is about, and you're like, oh my word, they didn't kill you at school? Well, good, they left that for me. You're better off sending them to their room. By the way, when you do that, take their phone from them. Make it hurt. Send them to their room, and you get your head right. You've got to be calm. You've got to be calm. What's the problem with what I just said? All of that takes what? Time. And all of that disrupts the rest of the family too, doesn't it? It does. But you've got to be calm. Flip the page. So if we're going to deal with a kid's heart, we've got to be calm. Secondly, we have to be clear. We have to be clear. What do I mean by that? Well, you've got to make your expectations clear to your children.
How many of you have little kids who will repeat, who will say back to you, I don't remember you telling me that. Like, it's like all of a sudden they develop an amnesia, you know what I mean? You never said that, Daddy. Can I give you just a practical way to avoid that? If you have a really clear command, let's just say, you know, some of you guys have families that are getting a little bit older and you can leave them at home for a while, you know, and whatever, and you have expectations. You make those expectations known to your kids and you want to make sure that they, they got it. Here's a real simple thing you can do. Make them repeat back to you what you just said. You know what that does? All of a sudden, they're on the hook for it. Do you remember how we had the conversation where I said to you, what do I expect? And you said, this is what you expect. Yeah, you remember that conversation? Guess what you didn't do? Make yourself clear. Here's the thing. As parents, are, do we have, it, it's not just our sole focus as our children. We've got, we've got marriages we're dealing with. Some of us are dealing with our jobs. Some of us are dealing with, with getting the car fixed. All these other things. Is it just possible that when we give commands to our children that we can just make it sound like it's total pig Latin and they don't understand? Is that possible? You have to be clear with your kids. Because if you're not clear with your kids, you can't do the third point here. You can't be consistent. How many of you struggle with being consistent with your discipline? There's nothing worse than having to correct a kid like when, like, when you're physically sick, right? I don't have the energy for this, right? Let me explain to you what I mean by consistent. Expect first-time obedience. Do you know what I mean by that, first-time obedience? This starts when your kids are very small. When you say to your toddler, no, don't touch that, what should you expect out of them and what should you train them to? letting them reach and touch a couple times, I said, no. What do you do? If you want first-time obedience, you can get that from your child if you're consistent. But if you want them to obey on the third time, then just say no and let them touch it two times. Here's the thing. What does God expect from us? Does he expect first-time obedience? How many of you want your children to, to fear God in a healthy way? Well, well, if you want your children to fear God, then you have to model to them what God wants out of us. God expects first-time obedience. Is first-time obedience, again, is it inconvenient for a parent? Absolutely. Absolutely. You may find yourself, mothers, one day all you do is just smacking hands or saying no or putting in a chair or whatever repeatedly your child because they do not obey the first time. But here's the thing. Do you want them to obey their heavenly father? Do you? You're the heavenly father's representative to the child. First time obedience. But that's not it. First-time obedience without challenge. 
First-time obedience without challenge. Some of you have children who are going to grow up and be some of the world's best defense attorneys. How many of you got kids who always have an argument for everything? And usually it makes sense. No, without challenge. We don't, are we allowed to challenge God's authority in Scripture? Are we allowed to do that? No. So, so we want our children to obey the first time without challenge, but that's still not enough because some of us have kids who will obey the first time without challenge and they'll do it with the massive eye roll. How many of you got eye rollers? What does the eye roll admit? Or the, or the stomping of the foot? Or the slam of the door? What does that reveal? What does it reveal? I'm obeying you on the outside, but on the inside, I'm what? You're a complete idiot, and I know it, but I'll obey you because you're bigger than me. Right? Some of us are dealing with kids that we never, expect, never expected this out of them, and now all of a sudden they're 13 and 14 years old, and they are, we have raised ourselves little tyrants, haven't we? It's never too late to expect first-time obedience. And if you haven't expected it out of your kid, I would suggest you do this. Sit down with them, especially the older ones, and just say this. You know what? I have been wrong in this. I have not expected you to obey right away. Here's what God's word. God expects me to obey right away. He expects you to obey right away. And I need to hold us to that standard. And so forgive me for not expecting it. But here's, here's the understanding now. When I ask you to do something or I tell you to do something, you do it the first time. And if you don't, there will be a consequence. Like Some of you are right now thinking, I'm, that's all I'm going to be doing all my life then. For the first couple weeks, yeah. Anybody want to admit to that? Yeah. When you start first-time obedience, it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. And you go to bed at night thinking to yourself, how many times am I going to have to say no? How many times am I going to have to swat that kid's hand? How many times am I going to have to ground them from their Xbox? Is the Lord patient with you? Is he patient with you? Patience doesn't mean he doesn't discipline, but is he patient with you? Yeah, he is. Fourthly, Good discipline is concentrated on the heart. So I want you to write next to this. What is my child worshiping? What is my child believing? What is my child treasuring? We're all born to be worshipers. We are. And chances are, after you write that down, I want you to look up here. <laughs> chances are, the things that your children are worshiping are the things that you worship yourself. Ouch. If you worship comfort, will your kids be comfort creatures too? 
if you worship convenience, will your kids be convenience kids too? They will. They will. And so you have to... Now, with the three-year-old, it's different than with a 13-year-old, but you've got to get to what is it that's motivating you. For instance, the 13-year-old comes home and, and all of a sudden you notice that my daughter is putting on like twice the amount of makeup that she ever put on. And she, when she comes home, her hair is totally different than when she left. And, and, and I'm noticing that, that she's getting more moody and you're like, yeah, this is every 13-year-old girl, right? But like, what's going on in her heart? Why this change? And what you're going to find out is, and every teen wrestles with this, all of a sudden people become really big in their life. Not you as a person, you become very small as the parent, but their friends become very big in their life. And, and, it, and it's, you have to identify, what is it? What is, are you worshiping acceptance? Are you worshiping wanting to fit in? Are you worshiping wanting to get likes on your social media page? What is it that you're worshiping? Why is that so important to know what they're worshiping? Why is that so important? Gets to the root of the problem, right? Let's go back to my illustration at the beginning. Danny slammed the door. Danny's a 16-year-old kid who just, when he got home, you could hear the car door slam of his rusted old jalopy. You could hear him just go, ugh, outside. He walked in, walked right past you. Even when you said hello to him, he went up to his bedroom and he slammed the door. Now, you had some jobs you wanted Danny to do when he got home, like take out the trash because it's the night the trash goes out and he knows he's supposed to do it and you had a few other things you needed him to do and he blew you off as he went up there. Now, is his behavior correct? Was he respectful to you? No. And you could easily deal with that behavior and miss what's going on in his heart. Maybe something happened at basketball practice. Maybe something happened at school that day. Maybe somebody started a bad rumor about him at school and it spread like wildfire, like that would never happen, right? Or maybe he screwed up and he knows it and he doesn't know how to get out of the fact that he screwed it up. And if you just go up there and yell at him about his behavior, you've missed a golden opportunity to deal with his heart. You understand what I'm saying there? Is his behavior wrong? Will it have to be dealt with? We're not excusing it, but, but let's get to the heart of the matter. Because you've got to explain to Danny, guess what? These things happen in life. You're going to make mistakes, or people are going to mistreat you. That doesn't give you the prerogative to, to, to act out in any way that you want to. Right? So, practically, what do we mean? I want to give you five things here. Oh, another thing on consistency that I forgot to mention before we go there. One of the greatest areas of inconsistency in parenting is moms and dads who aren't on the same page. 
Good cop, bad cop doesn't work. It only works on Kojak. That went over everybody's head in the room who is like, yeah, Daryl got it, yes. Good cop, bad cop doesn't work. You've got to be consistent as mom and dad, which means another, another inconvenient thing about parenting is you're going to have to do a lot of talking as parents. And can I be clear on this? You don't talk about disciplining your children in front of the child. I know that sounds so obvious, but don't do it. Your kids watch your reactions and they're like, oh, mom's sympathetic to me. <laughs> I'll just keep that in my little treasure chest of knowledge here, right? It's a, it's a fair thing to, to consider this. Before you hand out a severe discipline, a pretty strong discipline, a discipline that's going to last weeks or whatever, that's going to that's gonna actually, like, there's nothing more inconvenient than like grounding your kid from their car and then you have to take them everywhere. Before you do that, you as parents should have communicated about that and been in total agreement on that. Because what's going to happen is your heart's going to get revealed. You're going to be taking your kid to soccer practice, and you're going to be like, I don't know why your mom's grounded you this long. This is, just drives me crazy that I have to take you to soccer practice. And what have you just said to your kid? We don't agree about this. We don't agree. So that, mark that down under consistency. Let's talk about practically what we mean. If we're going to really focus on the heart, concentrate on the heart, what does this mean? Number one, we've got to focus on motivation. Here's some good questions to think about. What did you want? What were you hoping to achieve? Why did you do it? What matters the most to do or Hey, help me to understand what you were thinking right then. Seventeen-year-old child who just got picked up by the sheriff for being out after curfew. You thought they were spending, you know, spending the night at a friend's house and just being totally innocent and just doing, you know, stupid teenager stuff. And you're picked up at 3 a.m. vandalizing somebody. Can you help me to understand what you were thinking in that moment? What was going through your mind? Not this way. What in your ever-loving mind were you thinking? No. What's going on? Why are you... You know this is not right to do. What are you thinking? What's going on here? Focus on their motivation. Secondly, practically, what does this look like? You've got to listen hard to understand your child. Some of you think you know your kids' hearts. You've got to listen hard. You've got, you got to hear it in their words. What is it that they want that they're not getting? What's got them so frustrated? You've got to be a good listener. Again, is that convenient? Now, let's be, let me put a caveat on that. Is your three-year-old going to make much sense to you if you're just spending all your time listening to your three-year-old? No. But you know what? Your seven-year-old can make a lot of sense. 
Your seven-year-old can make a lot of sense. And, and, and one of the biggest mistakes that we make as parents is, you know what, what you have to say doesn't matter. What I have to say matters the most. And we don't listen to our kids. And our kids are probably trying to, and we're not, not justifying their wrong behavior, but we're not getting to the heart of why they're behaving incorrectly. Can I just speak from the heart on this too? Some of us don't want to do the hard work of listening to our teenagers' hearts because we, well, I just don't relate to that generation. I'm going to send them off to their youth pastor or send them off to a counselor. If you haven't taken the time, and I mean invested the time over and over and over to hear your child's heart, don't send them to somebody else. God gave them to you. Does that sound harsh? I'm sorry, I don't mean it to sound harsh, but God made you the parent, right? Did he make a mistake? Do you have everything you need for life and godliness? Now, I'm not saying that if you're sending your kid for help that you're doing it wrong. What I'm saying is this, you better have first invested a lot of time yourself. Don't send them off to get them fixed by somebody else because you know what the message you're sending to your kid is this? There's some things that are too big for God's word to even fix, so I'm just going to send you off to fix it. Is that a good message for our kids? No. No. You've got to listen hard to understand. How many of you have kids? How many, how many of you have multiple children? And you've walked into this situation... They did this, but they did this. How many of you walked into that situation? Like every day. Cut through all that garbage and focus on the heart. And this is what you say. I don't care who started it. You both were angry. You both have angry hearts. Let's deal with that. Doesn't really matter who starts it, does it? Doesn't really matter who starts it. Because, because whoever started it, yeah, they may have been the first sinner in this, but the way that somebody responded to it incorrectly, you got two sinners now. And maybe if you got three or four kids, you could have them all embroiled in it, right? You don't need to play CSI with your kids. Like, get out your little detective kit. Who started this? If they're all sinning, deal with the sin. It doesn't matter who started the sin. That doesn't make one more righteous or less righteous than the other. They're all unrighteous, right? Number four. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a hard one. But you've got to move away from what I call boundary dis discussions to the center. Move away from boundary discussions. And here's what I mean by boundary, boundary discussions. Like... How far can I go before I've crossed the line? Let me give you an example of this. How many of you have teenagers in the room? Am I right or am I right? One of the biggest things is curfew, right? Is curfew a big deal? There's always a kid who has a later curfew, right? Whose parents are cooler, right? Right? And there's always the kid who's like, well, if I call you by curfew and I'm on my way home, I'm good, right? Right? I've checked in with you. I'm safe, right? 
if you mean 11 o'clock, does that mean you mean 1101? Now, now, I'm not saying that there's not grace. Let's just say that, you know, somebody on, in front of them got hit by a deer or something like that, and they stopped to make sure they were okay. If they called you to tell you that, can you trust them in that? You should. But if they show up at 1102 and they're like, why are you so upset? If I mean 11 o'clock, then if you're really smart, you would try to plan on being here by 1055, Right? How many of you have to get to work at a certain time? Does your boss care if it's 10 minutes late? Move away from the boundary discussions. Like, like the kid that, that is always, the lawyer kid who's always negotiating like, okay, so yeah, I know you mean first-time obedience, mom, and they were not going to talk to you this way, but in their mind they're like, I know you mean first-time obedience, but what if I just try to slip in one little thing right here? Again, here's the question that needs to be focused on rather as opposed to what is my boundary. Here's the question you want to just kind of just plant in their heart and reinforce. What is the loving thing to do? Can kids be loving in the way they respect a curfew? Can they? The loving thing to do is, yes, I love and respect you, mom and dad, and I realize it's prom night, and all my friends are out till 2 a.m., and you told me I got to be home by midnight, but I love you, and I will obey you, and I'll be home. What's the loving thing to do? Number five. Don't value one form of misbehavior over another. Just write that down. I'll explain that to you. Think about the prodigal son. Think about the prodigal son. Did the prodigal son do just about anything he could do to destroy his dad? Did he? Now think about the older brother. What was the older brother's attitude? Would you classify him as self-righteous? Would you classify him as thinking he was better than the younger brother? Would you classify him that way? We might be tempted to look at the story of the prodigal son and say, oh my goodness, that younger son is a total just jerk. And look at the older son, what a loyal son who stayed home. Yeah, and he pouted about it the whole time and was angry about it. Which one's sin is greater? They're both sins, and both those sins put Christ on a cross, did they not? With little kids, the kid who is sulking in their room because you took away something from them is just as bad as the kid who defiantly yelled at you and stomped his foot and kicked you in the shin. They're just as the same evil. But which is the one that you're going to put up with probably more than the other one? The kids sulking in their room, right? Don't make the mistake of creating your own hierarchy of sins. These are the sins that I'll tolerate, but I will not tolerate these. Is that how God works? No. So let's, oh man, lead your child to Christ. Let me, let me give you this phrase. 
Godly discipline highlights the child's need for Christ. Good godly discipline highlights the child's need for Christ. I don't care if the kid is three years old or if the kid is 18 years old and still under your authority. Your kids need to understand this. Look up here. Your kids, this is so paramount. Your, your kids need to understand this. There's no way they can keep all the rules in and of themselves. And here's the thing. You can't keep all the rules in and of yourself. Christ kept all the rules, and his righteousness can be put to our account. Now, don't tell your kids they can't keep all the rules and, like, excuse the fact that they can't keep all the rules. No, guess what? I can't keep all the rules either, but Jesus did, and Jesus is our righteousness. And all these rules are pointing out the fact that you and I can't get it right all the time, but Jesus did, and he's pleased God with the way he's acted, and we can receive by faith what he has done for us. Now, will that take a long time, too? (laughs) Yeah. But that's what good parenting does. It, it, it takes our children to Christ. It's not just a slogan for churches, pointing lives to Christ. It's a slogan for parents. Every day you have an opportunity to point your children to Christ. He is the one who's going to meet their needs. He's the one who's their savior. You can't save your kids. He can. So let me quickly give you some ideas for discipline. And I'll just make this disclaimer. Next week, I will start by taking questions because I'm sure some of you have some questions at this point. I'll start next week by taking questions. I intended to get through this, but I didn't get through very quick because I'm long-winded and I have a lot to say and it's usually not very good. Here's some ideas. Here's some ideas for you to consider as you're considering the different ages and personalities of your kids with discipline. Sometimes you have to just discipline with a stern talking to. Okay? All right? Sometimes with your children that are little, we had this for our kids. I don't know that we called it this, but there were times when when our kids were little toddlers and they would misbehave, we put them on the step, and they knew what that meant. You could call it the naughty step if you want to, but it just sounds like Santa Claus in a way, but... But sometimes you just make your kids sit there. And, and you say, why are you sitting here? Because I disobeyed. Yes, that's why. And they're going to be like, can I get up? Can I get up? Can I get up? No. And if you ask if you can get up again, it's going to be another five minutes. Okay? That's like gentle discipline. Occasionally your kids, and we saw this in the scriptures, your kids are going to need a, a spanking. Make sure it's calm, make sure it's with an explanation, and make sure it's always followed by a show of affection. If you can't do it that way, then don't do it. Let me say it again. Make sure it's calm, make sure it's preceded by an explanation so they understand exactly why it's happening, and make sure it's always followed with an expression of love. I'm sure you'll have questions about that next week, and I will be happy to talk about that. Thirdly, isolation. Send them to their room. Ground them from their friends. And here's one of the most inconvenient things you can do, but I would advocate for it. 
if your child's phone is getting them into trouble, take it from them for a long time. But I cut off from my friends. Yes, you are. You might actually have to talk to them in person at school. But you don't understand. It's the way the coach communicates with me. Give him my number. Fourthly, let your children face the natural consequences of their action. If they mess up at school and they get in trouble, like for being late to school, if they mess up and they don't turn in their assignments, do not be the parent that runs interference for them. And every teacher in this room said what? Let them suffer the consequences of their poor choices. How many of you have had to suffer the consequences of your poor choices? Has, has that been a good teacher for you? Let them suffer the consequences. If they break their toys after you've told them, be careful with that, and they go out and break it anyway, guess what? Don't rush to mire and replace it. I'm sorry you don't have that. I told you not to play that way with it. I told you you were going to break it. You don't know, mommy, please. And then last, remove privileges. And the, and the side of that is, as your kids get older, you should be giving them responsibilities. If you're, if you're the mother of a teenager and you're still doing their laundry, I'm just going to tell you this, you're doing it wrong. Are they going to have to do their own laundry one day? Where are they going to learn to do their own laundry? Please don't tell me at college. We had giant washers and dryers at college. Everything I owned went in, like two weeks of laundry. And then from the big washer into the big dryer. And then, like, I, would, I wore the most wrinkled clothes all over campus all the time because it was all wedged into this giant dryer. Do your children, are they going to have to change their sheets one day? I hope they do, Seth. Don't go in and clean up their room. Teach them responsibility. And if they can't handle their responsibility, then they don't get privileges then. Isn't that the way it works in your world? But in doing that, point them to Christ. Point them to Christ. i got to quit. The kids are out there. They're listening. They're going to get all our secrets, okay? <laughs> so next week, we're going to begin with questions from you, and then we'll, then we'll go deeper, okay? Father, thank you so much for the privilege to raise children. And at times, it seems overwhelming to us, and I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fall into the trap of just being rules, rules, rules parents, but that we would be pointing our kids to Christ, the, the one who, who kept the law and fulfilled it and is our righteousness, and that our kids would see that they can't keep all the rules and that there's something far greater than just rule keeping, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.